Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's me, Dr. Lulu, aka the Marmatrician. Welcome to another episode of Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. Today we have another great guest. His name is Benson Fox. Love his last name to pieces. He is here. He's also a coach and I like that. I like that because, you know, I'm trying to swim in the coaching arena right now. So I'm excited to interview coaches. It's a good thing. So Mr. Benson Fox is here today to talk to us about all things related to suicide prevention, about life, about staying. So Benson, good morning. How are you, sir? What's going on? Good morning, Dr. Lou. This is a, a big opportunity, a big honor. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming. It's, it's, it's my honor and my pleasure. And I know the listeners are going to learn something as a lifelong learner myself i'm always open to learning something doesn't matter what you know i'm just always open to learning something so where do you want to begin sir what do you want to do how do you want to go about this <laughs> um i guess i first want to introduce myself let's do it um, yeah so my name is benson fox um 26 years old uh, orthodox jew and um you know so i got I studied a lot of religious studies in yeshiva for, for many years, um, post high school even, for, for four or five years. Um, then I transitioned to start. I worked in, um, I got a major in psychology in undergrad. Um, and now I'm, curr I'm currently a second year psychology doctoral student to become a psychologist, a therapist. Um, and so about two and a half years ago, I started to do all this like crisis counselor work working for the crisis text line. I was working for um, a phone line called Regesh, um, another type of crisis line. Um, and then I also two and a half years ago, I started this called transformation coaching work. Um, and that that's what I've been doing the past two and a half years to, uh, um, you know, as my profession. Nice, nice. So basically the summary of it all is that you're in the business of helping people. And I think that's kind of how we connected on one of the many, many social, um, Facebook groups. So how do you want to begin? What um, Have you been touched personally by suicide? Have you been, I mean, how do you want to approach this today? Um, yeah, I, I think let's, you know, let's talk about, you know, suicide more generally. Um, you know, what, what makes someone go in that direction? 
you know, it's becoming a bigger problem in today's world because because of the lockdowns. And I think it's worth trying to trying to understand it. Do you have a lot of I noticed you said something about being an Orthodox Jew. Do you have a lot of suicide in that population? I've never really I don't think I've thought about that. I wrote a whole book about teen suicide and I don't think I don't think Jews made the cut. <laughs> it's about 12 different teenagers from across the globe. And I don't think I even had a child that was Jewish. I did have a kid that grew up in Brooklyn. They were all fictitious, of course. One of them grew up in Brooklyn. That's probably the closest to Jews that I had. <laughs> she just happened to be black in Brooklyn. But I was in, in New York in November of last year, in November of 2019, just in case people are wondering when this was recorded. This is October of 2020. And I did take a walk around the entire, I don't know, I probably did like 30 miles of walking. It was in Brooklyn and I did go into some Jewish communities and I just loved the community-ness of them, if I may use that word. I even walked into one of their convenience stores and I asked to take a picture with one of the gentlemen with the fancy outfit and the beard and the hair, curly hair and all that. I don't know what they're called. So I want to be respectful, but I thought it was neat that they didn't want to take a picture with me, but the guy wanted me to take a picture of them. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but Hey, I took a picture. So, you know, I just love to learn about different cultures and that's just, I'm so blessed that you came into our, on our pages today, because this is something that I have not even thought about. Do you guys have a lot of suicide in your, in your community at all, sir? Um, the, there's a, you know, all the problems in the general culture will also um, filter through eventually, at least into uh, the Jewish culture as well. Um, you, do, you, do, you do try to generally stay more insulated um, overall, meaning to work generally within the community, etc. And there is a lot of many, many supports that are built into a religious lifestyle, um, whether through social gatherings, whether, you know, whether it's charities and there's a lot of charity given within the Orthodox world, many, many organizations that work specifically within the Jewish world. And that, that probably would, would bring down those types of statistics, but, but we're not, but it, we're not immune. We're not immune to what's going on and, Generally, whatever major trend is going to happen in the general world will also happen at, at least usually to a lesser degree, but, but still in a significant way also in the Orthodox Jewish world as well. Yes. Yes. Wow. <sighs> I don't know what to say. I mean, I know I knew we already had a suicide pandemic period, you know, before the pandemic of the virus. And now we have a double pandemic on our hands. Ironically, the WHO actually predicted that by the year 2020, we'll have one suicide every 20 seconds. And most people don't know that statistics yet because it was a prediction. And as of July of this year, the studies had shown that it was one every 26.9 seconds. So I know that by the end of the year, we're gonna probably beat that. And that is a prediction, which means we don't know for sure, but also we know that most suicides are not reported. So in all fairness and in all truth, how bad really is the problem? So we're all ears, you know, I want you to just kind of start talking wherever you want to talk and then we'll just kind of follow as, as you lead us. Okay, sure. So I think it's important to talk about suicide more generally, like what causes someone to, to, to do suicide? Um, you know, what, what, what ingredients, what does it take? Um, so 
I, I believe there's really two ingredients that you need to have. Um, one is an overwhelming amount of emotional pain, an amount that's so overwhelming, so unbearable, and so constant um, that it provides the energy it would take to overcome a person's natural um, defenses to, um, I would say, like, we have certain um, instincts and to preserve life, a survival instinct. And that's probably the most powerful of our human instincts. And that instinct is when you're doing suicide, you're literally fighting, you're going directly head to head against it. And the truth is the survival instinct will win many, many, many more times. The thing is, is that the, 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 the suicide, it just need to, it just needs to win once and then, then it's game over. Um, but in order for it to win, in order for a person to do suicide, they need to overcome that resistance. And that takes a tremendous amount, a, a overwhelming huge amount of, of intense emotional pain, as well as, as well as the, the pain alone is not enough. Even then it's not enough. There needs to be a very built-in internalized sense of hopelessness, mm. that this pain will never end. There is no hope for the future. And once those... You need both those both those ingredients are, are necessary um, prerequisites. And but once you have both, you have that gives the, both the energy mm -hmm. to overcome it and the sense that this will never end. And then once you have both those together, then a person feels, okay, there's just no point. And then and then they could overcome that survival instinct to then kill themselves. Yeah, that is one of the things that they call the suicide paradox. I know a lot of people don't realize that. Most people who kill them, who actually do end up dying by their own hands, their is a strength is a is a strength that is unexplainable. Yet, people that survive a suicide attempt, some people in the community will call them weak. Or people who are suicidal are usually put in a box of "oh, you're weak," you know. But but the truth is, that person is. 200 million times stronger than you if they pull it off. And that's why we want to stop them. First of all, let them know that they're not weak. There's nothing weak about being suicidal because generally it's the situations that are going on around you. Most people that kill themselves, actually 58% of those who kill themselves do not have a prior existing mental illness. So they are completely lucid, but it's, it's counterintuitive. Like you don't want to, really kill yourself. But then again, you feel like that's the only way out. And there was a blogger that one time, I, I, just, I, can't, I just can't get it over my, out of my head because he said a suicide attempt is the ultimate form of human burnout. That you, you, know, you, you feel like your whole body is on fire and the only thing to put out the fire is to jump. And I, just, I see that in my head every time I just see that picture because it's so true. Sadly, you know, I, I, I don't know that in my lifetime, but hopefully we can see the end of it. But the situation in the world is just not necessarily going towards the direction of no suicide. For instance, I'm Nigerian and we just had this past week, major unrest in Nigeria with the NSARS movement with just a peaceful demonstration and the government opens fire on children. Those who survived it, those who initiated the peaceful movement, those people, they are going to have, 
the ultimate form of hopelessness. So if you think we had a bad case of suicide, we're about to, it's about to get worse. So these are the things that I want people to, when I want you know, people to, to know that suicide is not a mental illness, it's bigger than a mental Hopelessness is bigger than mental illness. And that's my, that's my ultimate, you know, calling is to draw attention to the other aspects of what makes people want to kill themselves, which is not mental illness. Because if you mention mental illness, you toss in a major curveball of a stigma and they're already feeling stigmatized, you know? So it's interesting. It's a very interesting topic. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree that hopelessness is not a, uh, I would call it a mental, mental health condition you know i would say it's you're right i would say it's bigger it's broader um yeah and you'll notice that both of my ingredients weren't um mental health aspects it's emotional pain and hopelessness everyone could feel hopeless at times um i, I think that just one other point about that survival instinct and it gives us also a window of how to prevent suicide as well you know what to overcome it takes a tremendous amount of energy and that that amount of energy usually doesn't last for very long so therefore like if someone's feeling suicidal if you can get them to go to sleep <laughs> for the night by the morning uh, overwhelmingly they won't be able to follow through on it at least that day they may be able to then build up that energy at some later point to then do it but it's it's a very small window of time where this level of energy and hopelessness both match enough to, to then actually carry something out. So I know for the crisis line that I work for, oftentimes it, it, getting them to just go to sleep, that, that was, or having someone stay with them for the night, you don't didn't necessarily need, I mean, ideally you would want constant supervision, et cetera, so, because they can get it at some later point and, and, and build themselves up to that point. But usually if they miss that window, then even if they would want to, they wouldn't even be able to um, carry through because of this. I'm just trying to demonstrate and illustrate how the the power of the survival instinct. And the temporary temporality, is that the word? I don't even know the temporariness, whatever. I don't know of the word. I don't know the word of suicidal emotions. Like at that moment when you've been triggered and you want to kill yourself, it is so temporary that if you can just do something else. And I think one of the, one of my fun podcasts that I attended by my friend, Leo Flowers is called Before You Kill Yourself. Like literally that's the name of the podcast. And we, we decided that we were going to go and write a book about 100 things you could do before you kill yourself. Like literally there are so many things. He even went as far as saying folding your socks drawer, just doing anything else to get you out of that mindset. Because if it's in the morning, maybe you don't want to go back to sleep, or maybe just leave, leave your house and go for a walk. And then, you know, I don't know, walk your dog, just something, anything, but staying in that space. If we stay in that head space, the thoughts just get louder and louder and louder. So most of my patients, I just make them call five of their friends because they're mostly youth, they're teenagers. I say, call five of your friends and just ask them, you know, how can I make your day better? Just something as simple as that, taking your mind out of it. It may not be simple to you, but you've just made somebody else's day better. And guess what that does? That's kindness. And so that makes you feel better. And then that moment might pass. So can you tell us a little bit, so thank you for bringing that up anyway, but can you tell us a little bit more about the suicide hotline that you work, you work with? 
you work for? Sure, sure. So there were a few crisis lines I worked for. Um, probably the most professional of those organizations was called the Crisis Text Line, actually, which is only for texting, which is an interesting thing. When I first heard about it, I'm like, you're going to have the most intense conversations with someone <laughs> via text. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my mind, I'm like thinking suicide. Don't do it. Text, you know. <laughs> no, actually, you can text because I, I'm, I'm a member of the suicide. I guess we could call it hotline in Nigeria. And, you know, because of Nigeria and I'm here, we use text. So text works. I just make my patients call. <laughs> but yeah, you can, you can totally text. If, you, if the person is willing to listen to your text, so to say, you can text. But go ahead. Go ahead. I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah. So there, there are advantages to texting because, as you mentioned before, there is an incredible amount of stigma surrounding, um, you know, mental health in general, but also suicidality. So many don't feel comfortable going on a phone call with someone and texting gives a, 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 a safer, uh, you know, a bit more distance between them and the crisis counselor. And that for many people that, that, that's an, that, that can um, allow them to empower them to, you know, make that, to reach out for that help. Um, and then I, I found it that, that have been very, it's been very good. So about one third of the people that from, you know, that go in the crisis line have suicidality. Um, some of them are active. There is the difference also. I think it's an important distinction between um, passive suicidality and active suicidality. Um, and, you know, someone who is, and also someone that is, and, you know, someone who's intending to kill themselves, you know, that has, you know, there's really four ingredients to make someone, um, um, actively suicide, suicidal. Um, they need to firstly have thoughts of, of, of killing themselves. We call that ideation. Um, they need to have a plan, meaning a specific way that they were going to go about it. Um, they need to have the means of carrying out that plan and then a timetable within 24 to 48 hours. Um, again, that timetable, again, is keeping in mind the short time frame that people are actually able to carry um, to overcome that survival instinct. So when you have all four of those ingredients, what was the fourth? Sorry, what was the fourth one? I'm sorry, you said plan, means, timeline, and what was the fourth one? Well, the first one is usually, we just first confirmed that they're, you know, you, they usually don't come and say I'm suicidal. They'll usually say language like this, you know, I'm not sure if it's all worth it anymore. Or they'll say, I just wish the world came to an end or, you know, language that that's very dark, um, that's very existential. Mm -hmm. So then I, you'll follow up. I would follow up on the line. I'll say, you know, when you say the world, you know, is coming to an end or I wish I were dead, um, I'm wondering if you're having thoughts of killing yourself. So first, the first thing you would I would do is confirm, confirm. That, the, that the language that's being used means, um, you know, that, that they're having those thoughts. The first thing is just confirming the ideation that they're having thoughts of killing themselves. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, a plan means um, and then a, a, an immediate time frame within a day or two. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's wonderful that you, you, you mentioned that. I like that. I love that. So the first thing I now I realized the first thing you said was ideation, then plan, then means, and a timeline. Is that yeah. Right? yeah. Yes. Okay. Very good. 
Very good. And so what do you do then? What, how, how, how does that, let's just say, I just want to know as far as like that phone call or that text line, how does it now progress and how do you get them? I've had two friends who've called the 1-800 number. So I know that this is real for me, at least my friends, but I haven't had anyone who texted. So how does it end up, how do you end up resolving it? And and I, because I figured you, you do end up resolving because you're trained to do that. So how do you end up resolving it? So, um, yeah. So first in the conversation, we'll first build rapport. You know, sometime in the conversation, we're going to ask. We, there's a always ask policy. Even if there isn't some big red flag that would point in that direction, we still train to always ask. Um, and if so, if any point, if there, there's the four steps to that, that um, process of, of confirming if they're actively suicidal. And if there's no to any of those qu- steps along the way, we don't go to the next step. So if they say, oh, I, when I said that, I didn't mean I was going to kill myself. You know, I, I, I just meant that things are hard, you know, then we stop the questioning. And if they have a plan and they're like, you know, I, I am thinking of killing myself. I haven't thought of anything, which is which is usually that's the most common um, time that the process breaks down. But then sometimes they get a plan and they'll be like, my plan is to drive off a cliff. And then the next question will be, do you have access to a car? And if the answer is no, then again, we don't continue by asking about the time frame. That means that they, they, they can't kill themselves. So then there's no, we don't go take it to the next thing. And if they answer all three of those, yes, then we ask about the time frame. And they're like, oh, I don't know, just sometime. So that's not, that wouldn't, you know, um, so then again, we wouldn't take it next level. It's only when they answer yes to all four of those questions. So that's when they're actively suicidal. On that point, we switch modes to making sure they're safety planning. And safety planning will take the form of, you know, you know, as you said, either just getting people to go to sleep or it could take the form of um, having someone in the same room as you. Um, that's the most common one it's just to be around another human being because that itself is a very big barrier to to you know some a protective aspect that will keep someone from from going through with that um even just the camaraderie but even then even without that just someone that will stop them someone that loves them that doesn't want them to um or someone that can inspire give them some type of hope so um, so that well, th- that's what we call it safety planning. So if they if they refuse to do that as well, then then things go to the next level, which is trying to, you know, you know, I mean, they're gonna kill themselves. They have a plan. They have the means with available to them. Then refusing to take measures to keep themselves safe. Then then potentially what we would do again together with the supervisors to figure out if we should call the police. Um, emergency services to hospitalize them again and the role of hospitalization is to kind of keep them under that supervision that i would want to set up for them in a very short period of time to making sure they're safe and then once that passes then we then they're sent home usually it's a very short period of time it would be in that situation and then i would be continuing the conversation until the emergency services come I was in four of those situations, actually, um, over my time in the crisis text line. 
Wow, that is so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. I don't think I've had anybody who's been so eloquent and just, you know, basically just painted the picture of what it's like to access the text line. I use that in every single keynote address that I give, every single talk that I give. I always talk about the text line 741741. If you're wondering what is the text line, Dr. Lulu, it's 741741. But also just, just, it's just so good to speak to someone who's actually like done the work, who's doing, actively doing the work. And I do like the way that you mentioned active and passive because I have been actively, so like I literally was that person driving down the highway looking for an opening. That was me. So I know the act, I know the plan and all that. And I was, you know, I was done that day after work, it was gonna be that day. I couldn't, it was after work. So of course there was rush hour traffic. So I couldn't get access to an opening on the highway. And that's why I'm still here talking to you today because I got home and then I told my spouse, I was like, this is, this is what I try to do today. This is actually what I was going to do today. Needless to say that that shocked her to her core. And, and I'm still here today because obviously we put processes in place to get me to realize that. I wanted to say that, but I also wanted to mention the fact that Studies have shown that within the first 30 days of leaving the hospital or the first 90 days of leaving the hospital, we have the highest rates of suicide. So I want people to be very careful when someone goes to the hospital, you don't just say, okay, well, they, they, you know, they, they went to the hospital, so they should be fine now. And most people who kill themselves, they've seen a doctor within a month of that event happening. So please, if you have someone in your life who's been in the hospital, just be very careful. Don't just assume that, oh, because they've been to the hospital, you know, we're, we're in the clear now. That may very well be one of the times that they are most vulnerable and therefore you need to watch them that much more. So what you say to them, how you treat them, all of that, you need to be like so intentional about it because it's real. It can potentially be the most dangerous time or deadly time, if I may use that phrase, after leaving a hospital. So thank you so much for sharing that. So again, the four things we talked about are ideation, having a plan, having a means, and then of course a timeline. The timeline is a new one for me, but definitely I've known about the, I've always thought it just plan, ideation, plan, and means, and then, you know, you're good to go because most people like cut them there. I don't know about the timeline, but this is good. This is very good. Wow. So always ask is another thing I wanted us to talk about because most people think that if you ask a question about being suicidal, that suddenly puts the child or the teenager or whoever in that mindset of wanting to kill themselves. So what, do you, what, what, do you, what, do you, what would you like to say about that? There is a robust debate about this. Mm -hmm. I was telling you the policy of my organization the crisis text line, which they actually changed. They didn't always, always have always asked policy. They used to say, ask if you see someone that's, you know, talking in these existential, very dark terms, then they would, even if they didn't say the word suicidal, they say, then ask them anyway, because that's like a flag, mm -hmm. red flag. Then they recently, for the past year or two um, or three, they, they shifted to trying to 
get all crisis counselors to always ask and there is resistance to asking when they don't because like you're trying to you, you have like 45 minutes an hour to have a conversation and it's a little bit it's a little bit awkward even for a crisis counselor to kind of disrupt the flow of the conversation with so you're like oh and you have this problem that problem and then you're like oh so <laughs> do you want to kill yourself it, it, it i'm saying there is a smoother way to do it i'm being it a little bit dramatic um you know but it, 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 there is a resistance towards asking. Um, I will say this, is that, you know, there is, there is a, I think, a legitimate debate um, about the degree that, um, the degree that society is like, you know, I think there is a balance to be struck between being, I would call it being permissive um, re regarding suicidality and being, we can't even, even if you need help, just, you know, just kind of deal with it, you know? So I think society until now has been, you know, more on the second side. Like, it's just been like, oh, if you're suicidal, it means you're crazy. And just, just, just get it, just kind of get it together, which, which, which that, which that doesn't work. Um, but I think that there is a balance to be struck. Between not only that. doesn't work, it's also not true. I mean, yeah. and, and I say this proudly as, a, as an African and as a black person and an, I guess African-American since I'm in America, it is so our way. Just get over it. Just pray some more. You know, what do you mean you want to kill yourself? Like, you're not serious about that, are you? Like, no, this is not a joke. Most people don't, of all the things you can joke about, the suicide attempt is not one of them. And yeah. so, but people need to know that. And I like the fact that you mentioned that there's resistance. If you think there's resistance among people who are trained to talk people out of killing themselves, imagine people who are not trained. Imagine parents. Imagine that, siblings. And But this is what we want to empower everybody. And really, you don't have to be, maybe we should mention this now, that you don't have to be a trained suicide counselor, suicide agent, doctor, to talk someone out of suicide. Literally, you do not have to have any special training. We've already mentioned today that those people are their darkest hours. And sometimes they just want someone to just like, just because most people do not really want to do that, but then they have maybe no one to talk to, like you mentioned earlier on, or no one to share with or to tell. No one, maybe. no one wants to do it. No exactly. one. No, not. Oh, I said most people, right? And yeah, I, I said most. I mean, yeah, no one. Most. Well, I say most all the time, only because I don't know. I, I say most because I know that there, are, there are certain communities and certain countries and certain cultures that suicide is permitted as a form of heroic heroism. And so, when I wrote my book, uh, I, okay. I realized that. So now I say, not everyone. You can't. I mean, there are suicide bombers. There are suicide. Um, the samurai, I mean, there's so Japanese cultures that are rooted in suicide being actually a heroic way. So, you know, we're going to leave that out. But in other words, not everyone. So I think it's fair to say most. Okay. So I want you to go into the mindset of everyone, maybe, if it makes you feel better. Not you, Ben, but everyone who's listening to us out there as having this conversation. Most people do not. So your job literally is to be there for them with them and just offer kindness and compassion, knowing that this particular situation that they're in right now, you would want you, you will want someone to be there for you if there's if the roles were reversed. I think that's that's, that's kind of what I've been trying to, to say. And compassion and kindness will be all it takes to just kind of be there for them. 
knowing that some people are also afraid. I had a patient who was actively suicidal and came to see me with fresh rope marks on his neck. He didn't go to the hospital. His parents elected not to, and he didn't want to because he's been there before. He didn't like it. So I keep saying that he didn't go because he didn't want to, because he's been there before and he didn't like the experience. And then his parents promised me that they were gonna do everything they could to make sure that he didn't pull it off. And guess what? He's alive and well and thriving today because he took some drastic changes. And so, so it's not always the hospital, but yeah, hospital for most people, that's the, where, where they have to go. But some people say, no, I don't wanna do that because they also know this study or maybe the child has been there before and kind of not wanting to do that again. There's a lot of stigma. Even just going in to see a psychiatrist, there's a stigma. Going to see a therapist, there's a stigma. So all of that stigma, not everyone can handle it. And so compassion is what we ask. But you were going to say something about when I said asking, you know, I think you were going to say something. Yeah. No, but let's first address this point that you're bringing up. Um, yeah, I mean, you're saying, what's the role of the friend? Um, yeah, a friend doesn't need to be a crisis counselor, a therapist. They don't need to be professional, this or that. Um, and you shouldn't be. And don't, don't, don't try to be one because you won't do a good job with that. But the job that you could do, the thing you could do a good job with and what, you're, what you are trained to be is a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that role is something that a crisis counselor, psychologist can't play that role. Can, cannot. And that's a, a role that's, as necessary or more necessary to a person than suicidality. And almost always the people who, who are suicidal, the, the biggest pain that drives them to suicidality is isolation, actually. Um, which ex- I was going to say loneliness. You're right. Because when I was at ETF, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's the same. They're, they're, they're two. They're the same thing. Isolation, loneliness. Because when I was active duty Air Force, I remember there was a study that came out amongst the, they had done a study on the, all the airmen that had either attempted suicide or had a suicide note or ended up dying by suicide. That was the one recurrent word in their, in their suicide notes was loneliness. I mean, there was something that related to loneliness. In the, in, in the whole army barracks in the dorm, you'd be surprised the person is still lonely. So thank you so much for bringing that up because that is one of the words that is recurrent in every suicide note that was that was looked at. And based off that data that you just shared, you know, what what do you think a friend could be? Exactly. A friend doesn't a friend doesn't need to be a psychologist or a crisis. Okay. I'm the one who jumps in when when the suicide your suicide friend doesn't feel like you're their friend anymore. You know, not blaming I'm blaming anyone, you know, God forbid. But but the idea is, is if you just be a friend and you don't need to be more than that and you don't shouldn't try to be something more than that, because once you do, because remember, go back to the equation that we that we created earlier, that it's an incredible constant amount of emotional pain plus plus hopelessness. So if you, when you being their friend, you may take down their pain, just the dosage by empathizing by just being there just a, enough that it makes a difference or that. The fact that they have a friend means that now that they have hope that someone will be there for them. So therefore, that even little bit of hope or that little bit of pain that you're reducing may make the difference between that. And, and you don't need to do more than that. And you shouldn't try to be because that's not what you're good at. And, and this role is something, again, that, that a crisis counselor and a psychologist wish they could give to their client, but they can't because that's not something that's not their 
place for them to be. So in terms of saving lives, I would, I would, I would say that friendships probably save more lives than crisis counselors do. I Even though that's that. A, that is the probably a big statement to make, but I think it's true. No, but that's a quote of the day right there. I like to write down quotes from my guests. That is a powerful quote. A powerful quote. Friendships probably save more lives than crisis counselors do. And or even if you take out the crisis counselors, save more lives, period, because that is what you're usually looking for. And and you know, no pressure on the friends out there, but there's also that that you know, following there's that movement called hashtag be the one for. So I mean, even if even if you're not coming in as a friend, you're just coming in as maybe the neighbor who sees the guy on the ledge. I don't care. At that point, we want you to know that you are the one. The one person who it might take, like you said, to bring down the, the, the dose of the emotional pain and hopelessness down just a, just a tad bit enough for them to realize that they are not alone. There's nothing as, as painful as being alone. And, and this isolation didn't help at all. I'm not rather this um, lockdown and pandemic didn't help. But what I have found with the pandemic is that we are more connected than we, than the people during the 2018, you know, Spanish flu had, we have Zoom, we have phone, we have, you know, and then just because they say you should stay home, that is true. You can walk to your, to your, your park, you can take a walk around your neighborhood, you can speak to your neighbors across the street, because that's more than six feet apart. So I mean, there's still things you can do that will make a difference. You can call your kids, your kids can call you, you can have a Zoom party. People are now doing drive-by parties. I mean, I just love the creativity that has also come out of this. My friend had a daughter's graduation party in their backyard. Everybody was six feet apart. I, I saw the video with my own two eyes. So the creativity is now born, right? That we all didn't even know we could do. I mean, we're having this podcast today. You never know, you know, what could have been if we hadn't. So I say there's a lot more that we could harness than we think we can. So go be that friend, go be that, you know, call them, Zoom call them, do what you gotta do, but make that connection. Most of the people that have come on my podcast have said connection, 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 staying connected. I don't know how many ways to say, just stay connected is one thing. And then that's kind of what gives birth to my quotes, like a suicide attempt is never a cry for attention, it's always a cry for connection. And especially when it comes to children, just being able to stay connected. And being in a space with 200 people doesn't mean you're connected to them. So finding the one, and if you are lucky enough to be the one who's chosen, then we ask you to just give a heavy dose of empathy and compassion so that, that you can make you can save a life that day. And how cool would that be if you're the one that saved somebody's life? So do you wanna have two things that guests cannot escape from in my, in my podcast are words of advice for those that are listening and of course, where the listeners can find you. Okay, so let's start with the first one. The advice for the listeners is I wanted to clarify because I didn't I felt like I wasn't so clear what it means to not play the role of a psychologist or crisis counselor. Yeah. And that is that as a friend, when you're playing this friend role, the idea isn't to just be there and, and having these deep, painful, dark conversations, which is OK to have every once in a while. But you should not be you should should not be the person that you're always the one that they're turning to whenever they're down. They, they, you should make sure that they have a licensed um, psychologist, coach, a person that they turn to for that. 
a friendship will sink if 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 it's if it has too much of this negativity and you're getting so drained by hearing their pain and suffering and and you're going to feel helpless cuz first thing is that even a psychologist could feel helpless hearing that all day. They get they get burnt out. But get burned sure. out emotional. Yeah. Um, what do they call it? Compassion fatigue. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's even for someone that's trained and educated and experienced. For a friend, the strain that puts on a friendship is too much. So I want to clarify when I meant the role of a friend is um, first thing is don't put it all on yourself. Try to bring if he only has you as your friend. Try very hard to bring him into your group because the strain that's going to create of just having that one-on-one intense relationship that could sink your relationship by itself. Um, even if you don't intend to, and even if you're coming from a place of compassion and support, it's draining. It could be exhausting. It could be very difficult. Um, and you want, what you want to do is kind of, there's an intense burden to suicidality that that person's carrying. And if, if you're going to start carrying too much of that burden, you may sink as well. So yes. what I highly suggest is, is, sharing it, diversifying, bringing him into a larger social group and into a community, give him many more supports. So you're not the only one that's there. And the role you should be playing when you're together with that person, it's okay to have that conversation. It can be even good to have him vent to a friend and get it out of the system, but don't make it that that's your regular support, that you're the only one that you come to with all the dark and all the problems. Cause that's going to first thing it's going to, th- it could drag you down into that same space and it, and it, and it likely will also drag the relationship down. So when you're in that thing, it's okay. And it's good to have that conversation once and you should feel comfortable coming to you. But overwhelmingly, go out for pizza, go have a good time, go bowling, <laughs> go for hikes, go boating, you know, go for a walk together, you know, wrestle, you know, with each other. D- don't don't make it that this is now going to the suicidality now is where the whole universe of your world now revolves around Maybe because that, that's not good for you, not good for the relationship and then ultimately not good for that person either. So that you kind of outsource that to your to the therapist. Make sure he's seeing a, a licensed, professional, experienced, effective psychologist. But then you could play the role of the compassionate friend, but mostly the fun, positive, you know, and maintaining that role that I am the friend and not and not and not the crisis counselor and not the therapist. And then to diversify that into a, a supports from communities uh, to give him support from other groups. And bring him into your group of friends versus just being the one that I am the the knight in shining armor who's going to save my friends from this terrible situation. Yeah, most people are not. Most people are not. Most people actually, I thought you were going to the direction of you don't even have to say anything. Some people just want you to listen, but certainly the 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 follow-up to that is get them effective help. And that's one of what I use my um when I use my talk mnemonic. T is for tuning in, A is for asking the questions, L is for listening, and in case for keep communication as you get them effective help. And that's usually not you, but at least they reached out. So that location, reaching out to you is one of the things that we're asking people to do. That's the whole premise of this. People just don't want to reach out. So if they reach out to you rather than being afraid, oh my God, they reached out to me, is like, okay, you reached out to me, great. What can I do? And then, of course, the reason we drop all these numbers and suicide crisis line and phone nine and all this is because you might be the one that will make that phone call because maybe they're not even able to make the phone call. They do, you know, it's obvious it's more complex than this, but it's a start. I know I've been called 
two or three times in the last three months from Nigeria for someone who is like actively suicidal. And I'm over here in Texas. And we've had to diffuse the situation. And, you know, thankfully all three of them are still thriving. So, you know, however it is, if you find yourself, there is that um, hashtag be the one for. And if you go to that website, you just look, if you type that hashtag on your, you will find that they have a lot of resources because they just want you to be the one to connect that person to help in any, in any which, but I like, I like join them into your friends as long as they like your friends, but either way is a start. I love the community is the whole idea, getting, just staying connected with people. That's fine. Yeah. So you have a coaching practice. Do you work with people that are suicidal? I mean, is it the same or trauma or what, what is your coaching practice about? Yeah. So in my coaching practice, um, um, I, I generally focus more on men mm. and yeah, usually I think everyone has some type of trauma. I don't, I don't think anyone really has monopoly on that. Although there are significant differences between some people's upbringings and experiences, mm. but I think everyone's going to have some type of trauma. What the way I try to help people, um, I offer um, a video course. We have daily texting accountability. I send relevant um, effective articles that I've written regarding the, the areas in their life that they're going through. Um, and then we have, we have a group session once a week and then we have via zoom and then we record it. And then we also have a one-on-one -on -one session. So mm. I try to offer this like holistic support experience where they feel very supported at every end. Um, and then we define the result before we start and we say to define how long it is and we create a dual commitment, meaning it's a commitment for me to get them to their result. And it's a commitment for them that they're going to commit to the, the amount of time frame yeah. that it's going to take to get there and the patience mm -hmm. and to trust the process that it'll take to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and then what I, my, the way that I, my primary way of helping people is I try to help them see how every part of them is good. And, and this is clearly speaks to like the end advice I'd want to give people is that there's people feel need that in order to make themselves better or to make their lives good or to get themselves out of like paralysis or whatever, that they need to kind of cut off a part of themselves, that they need to say that their fears are, your fears are paralyzing you, you know, overcome your fears, conquer your fear or anger, you know, anger is a toxic and a poison and shame and all these things. And my view is very different. Um, I see that every part of a person is good. Every single part of a person is good. Um, self-hate, self-doubt, self shame, anger, um, depression, sadness. I see every part of a person as good. And I think that the first step and, you know, and I see that the, the problem is, you know, is going to be always with the imbalance and with um, the imbalance, meaning you're not, it's not in the right dose and it's not in the right context. Mm. Um and I think that's a really important message for people that you don't need to get rid of your past. There's no part of yourself you need to get rid of to get yourself better, to get yourself in a good place. Mm. And in fact, it's the opposite. That to the degree that you're able to integrate every voice inside of you, you know, um, and you know that's the amount you'll be healed. And I think that by when you're facing an imbalance, the the idea isn't to get rid of any voices. The idea is to add more voices, to listen to what some of the other parts of yourself are saying as well. Because every part of you plays a, a very important role and is, is a very good part of yourself. Um, but yeah, so that's what I, I run those groups. Um, I have I have some WhatsApp groups, some Facebook groups. You know, you could always find me at at coach and at Coach Benson Fox on whether Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. 
Um, so you'll find me under Benson Fox at, at Coach Benson Fox specifically. Um, I have my website, coachbensonfox.com, the email results at coachbensonfox.com. So I think you're getting the the trend, the coachbensonfox.com thing. So yeah, so that that's how you could find me. And you know, I'm very eager to help people who, who don't want to kind of like shame or get rid of any specific part of themselves in order to get better to optimize their lives and try to integrate and become whole by by living in harmony with every part of yourself. That is so powerful. Yes, I think we got the Benson Fox thing. So it's almost safe to say if we type in on the Google Benson Fox period, then you're just going to pop up. Coach, Coach Benson Fox. Oh, Coach Benson Fox. Yeah. But I thought the um, one of them was just Coach Benson. Was there one of them that was just Coach Benson? On LinkedIn, it's just LinkedIn. Benson Fox, but everything else is Coach Benson Fox. Okay, Coach Benson Fox. Okay, I definitely will add all the links once I'm done, once I'm done editing it. Wow, thank you so much for joining us. That was amazing. I mean, how was it for you? Did you feel like it was good? It was a good visit to our pages? Was it a good visit? I do. I think this was a very important conversation to have, you know, a very sensitive conversation, a very, um, you know, very important, very intense topic, but a necessary conversation to have. A necessary one, nonetheless. Thank you so much. Yes. I mean, oh my goodness. And you dropped so many nuggets, so many. I learned so much and I learn every time. I'm not going to lie, but I learned a lot today because I haven't had anyone who's uniquely, you know, who uniquely has the, 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 the skills that you have to text, to have a text conversation with someone who is actively or passively suicidal. So thank you so much for sharing that. I thought that was, that was neat. I took lots and lots of notes. <laughs> so it's going to be a fun, fun editing session with me when, when, when this is done. So thank you so much, Coach Benson Fox. Did you have any other final words or we'll just let you go at this time? I, I hate the word final. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this context. <laughs> Uh, no, I just say that in order for a person to move forward their lives, there's no need to get rid of any part of yourself. And if you want help in learning how to move forward without having to get rid of your fears or your age, you know, definitely reach out and let's see, let's get on a conversation to see, you know, if I could help you in any way. I love it. So y'all, you've heard him. His name is Coach Benson Fox, a young kitty cat, 26 years old. Are you kidding me? full of wisdom. I just love it. And it just talks like he's like got years more, more, more years rather on him. That's wisdom right there. I appreciate that. So thank you so much for coming on our pages and thank you so much for hanging out with me the other day. That was so much fun. I appreciate it. All right, folks, this is Dr. Lulu, AKA the momatrician. You know what? Life is good. Go ahead and just go ahead and enjoy it. And I'll see you guys in the next podcast episode. Peace out. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Lulu. I just wanted to take a moment to wish you guys a very, very, very happy holidays. I know some say Merry Christmas. Some say happy holidays. Don't judge me, right? I'm going to go with happy holidays because I want to summarize the Christmas as well as the New Year's. But more importantly, I wanted to say if you can hear my voice, if you can hear my voice today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, I want you to take a moment to look up into the sky and just offer thanks. It has been a very trying year. It's been a crazy year. There's been a lot of loss, too much loss. But even in all of the clouds, there's still a silver lining. The silver lining is that you are here today, living, 
breathing and able to hear my voice. So for that, let us give thanks. Let us hold space for each other, hold space for ourselves, and just say thank you. So this episode drops on the day before Christmas. I want to say thank you for everything, for the blessings of listening to me all year long. I could not ask for a better, more loyal audience, but you guys have been there for me through thick and thin. When I'm crying and when I'm happy, when I'm sad and when I'm jumpy, when I'm energetic and when I'm not, thank you all so much. So if you're listening to me and you are a woman and you are an immigrant in a country where you live, I want you to send me an email to askdrlulu at gmail.com. I am publishing, putting together an anthology and going to publish it in the first quarter of next year, an anthology of women immigrants. I want us to share our stories, to share our love and our journeys and our adventures and the ups and downs of how we found ourselves where we are today. So if you are a woman and you can hear my voice, and you're an immigrant, or if you know a woman who fits that bill, send me an email, tell me who they are, and I'll contact them or have them contact me. I'm working on an anthology. It is so exciting. Finally, we're going to get something good that we can hold on to out of this year that has been so crazy. Again, I want to wish you and your family and everyone who's dear to you and those who are not a very happy and safe holidays. Remember, you are not stuck at home. You are safe at home. Bye. Hey, are you stuck in indecision? Is there something you've been wanting to do, but are having a hard time deciding how to go about it? Maybe you wanted to write a book. You're having issues with your relationship, your kids, money. Maybe you want to quit your job, but you don't know how to go about it. Hmm. You might need a life coach. Believe it or not, I just launched my life coaching business this year. And I'm open to accept clients and we're having free consults. So go to calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. That's calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. And grab yourself a free 45-minute session. And I'll see you on the inside.